Hey guys, welcome to Combo Courses Podcast, and we're going to be talking about open topics, about cybersecurity, really is mainly what we talk about. But I'm going to start it off on one note. Somebody asked me, out of GRC, uh, that's Governance, Risk, and Compliance, uh, SEA, which is uh, Security Control uh, Assessors, and ISO, that's Information System Security Officer, and, and Cybersecurity Officer, they asked me, which one is the easiest to do um, is the easiest to do the overemployed thing, overemployment. So for those who are new to this and are trying to, they don't know nothing about what I'm talking about, <laughs> I can explain all this. So what they're asking is about overemployment. Overemployment means kind of stacking jobs. And cybersecurity or IT, really. Um, and, and then there's a couple other adjacent fields like uh, project and program managers that could do this. You're working, you can work remotely. What this allows you to do is to have multiple jobs. You could have uh, one main job and then one part-time job, or you can just have a bunch of full-time jobs or a bunch of part-time jobs. And this allows you to make three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year. Like I'm not, that's I'm not even joking. Like you can literally make half a million dollars a year just with jobs, with doing IT, project management, cybersecurity, any these types of jobs. That's what overemployment means. I've done it before myself, and I can I can tell you exactly how to do it right, um, and how it it was less. I mean, uh, in a way that wasn't even that stressful. Um, so their, their question is how can they do overemployment and make all that money on each one of these jobs, by the way, making 65 to a hundred thousand or more dollars each job a year. Um, how can you do that in cybersecurity? And they, they listed a few, they said, they said, um, assessors, they said GRC. And then they mentioned one that's kind of the same thing. GRC analyst is kind of the same thing as an information system security officer. Kind of, it does a lot of the same thing. Enough to say that ISO work is GRC type work. Um, so out of these ones that they mentioned, and the other one they mentioned was cybersecurity analyst. Uh, out of these ones, how which one are better to do overemployment? And I would say it, it depends on it depends on the job. Um, some lend themselves to or, or lend themselves to doing this, to doing overemployment, but it depends on the work. So, and what I mean by that is some of them you you're not gonna be able to do overemployment. And some of them you can do it, but it's not gonna be easy. Depends on what workload they have. And just to give you a real world example, and the last time I've done overemployment. I had one that was a part-time job and then one that was a full-time job. And my full-time job was kind of, I just gotten employed. They just hired me, but I was, I was kind of in training. So they weren't like really using me as much. They just had me pop in and out of training or do some documents. And my laptop was still kind of getting set up and all that kind of stuff. My other part-time job, I was doing basically full-time. I was doing the part-time job full-time and the full-time job part-time. <laughs> That's why I say it kind of depends on your situation. Um, now, that said, I had one situation where I was working two full-time positions. Uh, and that was very difficult because I was on one job. I was an information security officer. 
doing all of these meetings, like maybe three or four meetings a week. And some of those meetings, I was leading the meetings. And then the other job, um, they were having me check on systems. I would just log into this or that system, make sure the system's up. I would owe them some documents. And basically I could, I wasn't doing like a lot of meetings, but I could, I could do my work. I'd have a certain amount of work that I need to do complete in a, in a week. Right. So I was able to do both of them, but it was very stressful because both of them were like high level jobs. So um, those were both. Uh, one was an information system security officer and one I was like a, just a cybersecurity specialist. I was just they would just have me do all kinds of different different jobs. So. So. Uh, that said, it still just depends on what you're trying to do. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the job. It depends on what the workload is. I will say this. If you're in lead leadership type positions, it's going to be much harder. It's going to be much harder for you to do um, to do overemployment because right now i'm in a position where i'm leading a lot of the a lot of the engineers i'm leading a lot of the projects like I, I have to be on the meetings and people are calling on me to do like things constantly i'm in i'm in kind of a leadership type position so it'd be really hard for me to go ahead and do overemployment so i would say you'd want to choose jobs that it's not really about the position it, it's not about the actual whether it's a grc or iso or or an an or a assessor or an analyst. It's more about like what they're having you do. Does that make sense? Because if you're in if you're in like a leadership position where they're taking more of your time, then then or you're leading all of the meetings, and that that's much harder, man, to do overemployment. But if you're in just a technical position where they just want you to maintain certain systems, or they you need to log in, or you jump in on meetings but you're not saying anything, you're on mute or whatever. You just you need to hear what they're saying, but you can kind of just participate then that's the kind of jobs you want to do for overemployment so that's what you kind of want to look for you want to look for jobs where you're just in the back doing what you need to do but not like running the show if you're like if it's a senior position or a principal position or a director or some shit like that you you're not gonna it's gonna be much harder for you to do um overemployment with those kinds of jobs but you can do it i'm just saying it's gonna be harder for you to do it so I hope that answers your question. Um, I, I kind of I'm going with the flow here of the the questions that you know this whole thing is going off of what you guys are asking me, and um, I you know I appreciate all you guys' input every from week to week. The videos that do better are the ones where I'm actually teaching NIST 800 <laughs> or GRC stuff. Those are the ones that do really well. But uh, I really like when when you guys ask me questions. So keep keep the questions coming. I'm gonna ask answer some stuff from TikTok real quick. These are more fun for me because it's more like I have to think on my toes. Um, the teaching ones are kind of like I've been I do it so often that it's I'm just doing the same information for me. It's it's just the same thing over and over again. I know that it's, it's golden information because some people are just coming in. Let me see if I have any more questions. Let me see. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Um, got about 11 people watching me right now. What's your advice? This comes from Rick G. He says, what's your advice for a new college grad 
wanting to get into SOC. A SOC is a security operating center. Um, my advice, Rick, is to start right now, um, to start internships, to start, start apprenticeships. And if you're looking for them, you, you go to LinkedIn, you go to Monster, you go to Dice, you go to Career Builder, go to all those sites, post your resume, post your profile, and start looking for internships right now. Don't look for just SOC positions. Don't look for just a specific title. Look for look right now. If you're new to this, you got to just get your foot in the door. So any kind of apprenticeship, preferably cybersecurity, but not necessarily. You want to just get yourself in there so you can actually put that build up your resume. At this point, what you're trying to do is build up your resume. Does that make I hope that makes sense. So get in as early as possible. What a lot of college graduates do and a lot of um you know, people who are going for their four-year degree or, you know, their master's or whatever, they wait all the way until they get the degree in their hand. And then they're like, okay, now magically I'm going to have a job. And what I'm telling you to do, what I what, let me just, from the inside looking out, what these employers are usually looking for is, is experience. So that's why I say, don't wait until you get that paper in your hand. Start applying right now and look for, right now, if you're a new college grad, they have a special place in their heart for internships and apprenticeships where they don't like really pay a lot sometimes with those. But right now you're looking for that for that um, for that experience. So that's what I would advise you to do. And, and actually, some of them pay really good. And some of them are um, a kind of a contract to hire situation where you go in, you do the apprenticeship or you do the internship. And then they say, OK, we're going to observe this guy for 90 days or whatever. And then we're going to hire him in this position over here. They're kind of training you on the job. So that at some point they'll hire you, full, you know, full time. And, and that's also a great, um, a great opportunity for you. So that's that's my advice to a new college grad. Anybody who's in college right now, don't wait, get in there and then take advantage of the internships and apprenticeships. Because a lot of people who don't have degrees are not they, they're not eligible for those kinds of positions in some cases. So there you go right there. All right, let me go over here to, well, I had a lot of questions here on, a lot of conversation happened on YouTube. Let me see. Somebody said, hey, Bruce from Kenneth, Virginia, how you doing? Do you do mentorships? Not at this time. I don't do mentorships right now because I'm, I just have too much work to do right now. I, I was doing them for a while, but that was, I was in between jobs. Um, let's see. Somebody said, what are some of the ways you automate your process? Also, if you're doing GRC, where do you get your files for what needs to be done? Like asset um, register and gap analysis with risk calculations. Okay, so uh, this is two different questions. Let me answer the first one. What are your ways of automating your process? For cybersecurity, uh, for my job, a lot of it, is automated so a lot of a lot of the tools we use because of the amount of data and in the position i'm in now the amount of data that i have to go through makes it so we actually have to use automation as much as possible we use tools like seam technologies we use scanning devices we use uh and all these have like a back-end database where all this data is being filtered to where it gets to me the challenge with, with GRC and cybersecurity and dealing with so much information is that the customer sometimes want you wants you to do man, stuff manually. 
So it'll be like, um, you know, this this automated tool is cool, but I want you to put it in a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's like it's kind of a running joke with with IT and cybersecurity people is that they always want a spreadsheet. Like, dude, like that's why you got the tool. You guys spent, you know, three hundred thousand dollars a year on this tool. And, and now you want me to put it in a spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times it'll export a, a CSV file and you can mess around with that or whatever. So a lot of the stuff we do are the tools we use is automation. But and you would think, oh, man, that's that's a lot less work. Well, actually, it just makes your work capable, uh, possible, because if you didn't have those tools to do automation and to pull these giant reports and sort through big data or whatever, it's going to be and make reports and stuff. It's just not going to be possible to do it in the time frame they want it. So the the SIEM tools, a SIEM is a is a security information event manager uh, that it, it consolidates all the logs throughout your environment. Um, those are automated. And you're, you got scanning tools like um, like Qualys that they, they do the scan automatically. Like you can set it for a certain time of day and time of the week to do the scan and then pull the data to you and then send reports and, and stuff like that. Those that's automated. You've got, um, Oh man, I don't know. You've got tools that consolidate, uh, all the, um, the artifacts and all the data that you need to, to prove that you have a control that you have a certain security controls implemented. Those are, those have automated features. So you just use automation for, most of our job have a back-end automation feature. And then it's us using our expertise to say, okay, this is a false positive, or we don't need this information, or you know what, I see a I see a pattern with this and that, and putting them together and kind of making meaning, more meaning to the decision makers. Right. That's that's our job. We the decision makers are the people that say, Yeah, we need to fix this, or you know what, we can't fix this right now. And then you're also giving them advice. You're saying, okay, if we if we fix this, I just talked to the engineers. If we fix this, it'll break this other mission essential stuff that we need. So they need us for stuff like that, you know, to, to interpret all the information that they need. Um, that said, it's a lot of manual work because the customer will say, yeah, it's cool that we have a million dollars worth of automation, but we want you to put it in a spreadsheet. And that's going to take five days. So <laughs> let me answer the second part of your question. You said, if you're doing GRC, what do you get? Where, where do you get your files from? And what, do you, what needs to be done for what needs to be done? For example, he says, registers, gap analysis, risk calculations. This is actually a good question. This is, must be an IT guy asking this. So where do where do you get it? Um, there's a lot of free resources online. And if you go to my site, combocourses.com, I have a bunch of downloadables that I basically gathered them from free off the Internet, like templates and um, and stuff like that that you would need specifically for government GRC, which is NIST 800 usually type stuff. Um, so I have got some stuff you can download. That said, you don't in, when you get into a position, especially for the federal or state government, or you get into a, a corporation, a lot of times, usually this is a very small company or a very new startup, they usually have their own tools that they'll give you. They want you to use certain tools and you're not supposed to use outside tools. And this is nine times out of 10 what's happened, unless it was a very, very small company that had some exceptions. So normally 
for example, your asset register. So for those of you who don't know, an asset register is like um, it's like a database, an approved database from Department of Energy or whatever. Right. And they have this one place that repository where everybody, yay, verily, everybody must upload a certain document to this to this register to say, hey, here's a new system. Is it approved or it was approved on this day or it has a approval to operate or whatever? That's one thing. So those are always going to be controlled by the upper level organization. Like uh, when I was in the Department of Defense, DISA had some sort of register that all the assets and all the systems would go in. Right. I, I'm sure they've changed it by now. Um, it might be some other organization that doesn't now. I'm not sure. I've been out of DOD for a while. And then gap analysis and risk calculations. Okay, so this one is usually like a homegrown thing. Like when I was working for, um, I worked for Verizon and they had their own risk calculations. They had their own special sauce of risk calculation. It was and, and they were always tweaking it to make it better and better to have real good, to give you a real decent understanding of what the risk level was. And what I what I mean by that, if, for those who are, are kind of new to this, if I could explain it, what it is, is whenever you get an organization, think about it, you might have hundreds of, of laptops, workstations, you might have hundreds of, of uh, servers that are doing your business and mission work, right? Whether you're processing important personally identifiable information or satellite information or whatever your mission and business is, right? It's important, sensitive information that has to be protected. That said, the systems that they sit on are targets, right? And some of those systems have more exposure to the internet than others, meaning they sit in a deep, they have to sit in a place where they make it ex the information, some of the information is accessible to their customers or their clients or users or whoever, right? Or even members of the same organization. So the more people who have access to it, the more exposure that you have. That means that you have more risk involved. And sometimes you have to have that risk. So the, the name of the game is not to eliminate 100% of the risk. Um, the name of the game is risk management. We're managing risk, just like in your own life. If you, you could be safe, right? You could just not leave your house. You could just, you know, uh, just eat things that are extremely health, healthy. You could just, right, that um, you could eliminate as much risk as possible. But us breathing and li living, like you could literally just fall down, just walking around your house. Even if you were to shut yourself inside your house and never leave. Uh, you can just fall down and 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 die, you know, drinking a cup of water or something. Like you could drown. Like risk. What I'm my point is, risk is everywhere. It's unavoidable. A part of this world, a part of this life, is us risking every day. We risk our our life. Like it's there's a risk with just breathing. <laughs> there's a there's a risk with every part. And the the more important things that you do, the more the the more important your tasks, the more important your business, the more important, the more thing people rely on you, the more risk is there, right? And that's no different from an organization. In a, a large organizations that are taking care of very important information or very important people or very important assets, the, the risk is higher and higher and higher. And 
the only way to limit the amount of damage that can happen, you know, and I'm not talking about just getting hacked by another country or something like that. I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about mishaps. I'm talking about your, your employees accidentally hit the wrong button and then the system goes down temporarily. There's a risk to that. Like somebody, Google makes a mistake and then suddenly their site goes down and uh, they lose a million dollars a minute or whatever they make. You know, there's a risk with just accidents and errors that can happen. So the best we can do is is minimize the level of risk that we have. And how do we do that? You do that with firewalls. You do that with educating the people inside your your network. You do that with limiting the amount of exposure that your systems have to the Internet. You do that with making sure that your sensitive information is only on certain systems. So every organization has a, a fingerprint of their level of risk, right? There's no one size fits, fits all risk analysis that you can do. And so the question he asked was, what, what gap uh, assessments and risk calculations can you, uh, do I have? Like, which ones do I use? It really depends on the organization because every organization has a different level of risk. They have different systems, different different types of information. They have different risk tolerances, meaning some some organizations are, are cool with risking everything. And that's how they made it to where they're at. They'll roll those dice every time. Look at like Tesla and basically anything Elon Musk does. He's super risky. But there's some organizations who are risk averse. That means they're not trying to take all these crazy ass risks. They're trying to protect their livelihood as much as possible. So they whenever they make moves, but the moves are very, it takes a longer time. The Department of Defense is a good example. The government, they, they move very slow because they have to be methodical. There's so many things that rely on them not, not um, getting taken out. So they have to be very careful about new operating systems. They have to be very careful about new technologies that come out. Not to say that they won't still use them, but they got to be very careful. So every time I go to another organization, they have their own tools. They have their own methods of risk uh, gap assessments, risk calculations. Every organization's private sector, public sector, being a contractor, they all have their own risk tolerances, their own way and and the thing is if i took something from verizon and applied it to this other place it won't always work uh in that situation so a lot of times you gotta you gotta figure and even if you could get it to work you've gotta you've gotta take into account what they have in their environment to apply to this other calculation so i hope that that makes sense without i mean i kind of beat that one to death (laughs) uh let me see i've got some more stuff on says i'm studying computer engineers engineering um work as an intern at aerospace company Uh, that's how you do it man that's how you do it um get and that said if you already work at a you already have an internship you already have a um a, a apprenticeship learn as much as you can and remember just about everything you do can be put on your resume like you need to start building out your profile and your resume right now um, and treat yourself like a brand. What I mean to say, like what that means is what do brands do? Right. What what is what does McDonald's do? McDonald's is everywhere. They're ever present. They're, they're on every corner of every city. 
You know, they're they're everywhere. That's what you have to do, too. You got to put yourself everywhere. Treat yourself just like a brand. You need to put yourself on all the uh, job aggregators, all of them. If, if, if you're serious about getting a job and then update your resume on all those platforms, that takes time. You have to be meticulous about it and put that everywhere, just like the big brands do. Copy what they do, um, not what they say. Right. They want you to buy their burgers and shit. Like do what they do. Like what they're doing is they're they're investing in real estate. <laughs> you know, they're. Their shit's everywhere. Their brand is everywhere. That's what you need to do with yourself, with your resume. Like put yourself all over the place. And I would even recommend giving out free information like I'm doing here. Like start a TikTok. Start talking about um, how it is to be an intern. At, don't name the aerospace company. Like as much as possible, don't like, especially if it's some high level shit. Don't don't post. <laughs> don't tell it. But just tell what it's like to be an intern. Put yourself out there is what I'm saying. Another thing is um look experience that you want to start capitalizing on that you definitely want to to put on your resume is all your security um all of your securities any kind of specialized skills that you're you're gathering as you're working at this company at this organization cybersecurity skills anytime you lock down a system update a system change of viruses all of those are good to put on a resume and on your profile um if, if you do any kind of coding, any kind of scripting, any kind of anything like that, documentation, surprisingly super, uh, super lucrative. Um, I've had whole jobs. That's all I did was documentation and they were paying the shit out of me. My highest paying job was just documentation, cybersecurity documentation, um, specialized skills. Put that on databases like specialized stuff. Put that get that on your resume. Um, let me see. Any advice for anyone taking the Network Plus exam? Um, Network Plus. So I have taken the Network Plus exam. Um, as a matter of fact, I taught it for some time. CompTIA Network Plus. For those who don't know, it's like a it's an entry level network um, certification from a company called CompTIA. They do the A plus. They do Security Plus. They do the CASP and several other marketable. Uh, certifications in IT in the IT field, and I would say Network Plus, <clears throat> among all the certifications I've taken, is it was the one of the easiest ones I've taken, and and it's not very popular, uh, it's not very marketable. Still take this certification. I'm not trying to shit on the Network Plus, right? But what I'm telling you to do is don't stop there. My advice is take Network Plus, pass it. Don't stop there. The next step, I would say, is to go get either Cisco certification or a Juniper certification. If you're going in that direction, if you're going to the net, the network security route, then go keep on developing. Don't stop with network, the network plus. Make that uh, one step towards where you're trying to go. I would recommend if you're trying to go security, security plus after that one. If you're trying to go networking, go um CCNA is pretty is pretty tough. I think they have Cisco has one below the CCNA. You might want to try that one first. <laughs> um, but uh, that, yeah, so don't stop there. That's my advice on any kind of networking uh, that you're doing. Don't stop at Network Plus. Uh, let me see. I got some other questions from YouTube. Smooth virus. Shout out smooth virus. Okay. Smooth virus says, 
Wanted to give a shout out to the risk, uh, the RMF SO book. We had a huge problem with RMF BOE package <clears throat> for one of our systems. Uh, we had a, okay, we had a SAV for it. I read the book the day before and it was a big help. Oh man, thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. I'm really glad. You know, it's crazy. Um, I get a lot of props for that book. I wrote this book about um, being a risk management framework, uh, ISO, Information System Security Officer. And that's what they call GRC people who work in the federal government. And I, that's just something I happen to have done for a long time. And I have like a two book series, a three book series where I break down in plain English, layman's terms, exactly what you need to do, like where you need to focus your energy, that kind of thing. Th there's documents out there you can get uh, that break all of it down, but it's it's very academic and they, it's it's just raw. You can get, I can show you right now where to get all the information to know everything about NIST 800, but it's uh, several hundred pages of of, of a lot of 90% stuff that you don't really need to know. And so what I did was I wrote a few books that condenses everything down to what you really need to know as a GRC for the federal government, like everything. One of the first books is about, I don't know, 40 pages. And then the second book is like goes into greater detail about the security controls. So that one's like, I don't know, 100 pages or something. And then the next book tells you, OK, now your control assessor you need to assess your environment. Here's how you look at each control. And I just focus on each family. And so I just condense everything to what you really need to know. And so I get a lot of props on that book. So thanks. Thanks so much for uh, for that plug, man. I appreciate you. All right. Let me see. Got some more stuff on TikTok. Best advice for getting into GRC. Uh, currently doing help desk for security uh, SaaS company. Okay. I can answer this question. Um, and and SaaS is a, is software as a service or is it security as a service? Software as a service. Um, it's just software as a service usually. Best advice for getting into GRC. So GRC, for those who don't know, is governance, risk, and compliance. Is a that's a very very broad term. It's a very very broad term. Um, GR, the G in the GRC is governance. That's like making sure your documentation is good, making sure you're in alignment with um, you're managing your systems appropriately. The, the, the organization knows the business and their mission functions and uh, people are doing what they're supposed to do uh, inside the organization. And risk is assessments, assessments of the controls and then determining what levels of risk um of, of what levels of risk the organization has to itself very very important to know what that what that is and then uh compliance the c in there is compliance and that's making sure that the organization is in alignment with the industry and government laws and regulations and uh all of those three together have a lot of overlap like governance has a lot of overlap with all three of those i mean you can't have how can you know what your compliance with if you don't have risk? How can you have governance if you don't know what your compliance with? So it's kind of like a circle. It's, it's a ever completing circle. It's a like a snake eating itself. It's like it's a it's a circle of life. And um, 
that's it. The answer your question, how do you transfer? So what you need to know is that there's certain things that GRC, that these jobs are looking for. What they're looking for usually is an, a fundamental understanding, a very strong understanding of information technology. Not everybody in this field has that, to be honest with you. Um, and the ones who don't kind of struggle, they kind of struggle, unless there's somebody there to kind of mentor them. Um, what you need is, I'll just give you a couple things uh, for the fund for understanding the uh, fundamentals of IT. If you know networking, if you have an under a very strong understanding of networking, how how um, how IP addresses work, the difference between a public and private IP, for example, what is IPv6, what is IPv4? Just you don't have to know how to configure a router or a switch or connect a network. You need to understand how networks work. If you know how to build a network in your house, if you know how to connect systems on a network in your house, disconnect them, knowing the difference between you if you have two networks in your house, like you can put up two networks. I have a a, a WAN over here, a, a wireless network here and a and a local air, a local area network here and and why they're separate. If you understand that, and you understand like things like uh, gateway addresses, basics networking. Like you don't have to know how to back up a router or a switch or anything like that. But if you understand basic network, we were just talking about network plus. That would get you there. Like that, the knowledge of that, you don't have to take the network plus. But <laughs> but if you know the curriculum that's in the network plus, if you know have that level of understanding, that's enough. So networking is one of the things you need to know to have a grasp of the fundamentals of security. Maybe you already know that. Um, the other thing you need to know is best security practices, all right? One of the best places to go for best security practices is one of the frameworks. Um, and there's a few frameworks. There's PCI compliance. There's the stuff I do, which is NIST 800. And one of the best ones for somebody who's new to this is called CIS. If you're on, if you happen to be on your computer, or if you're taking notes, CIS controls. The reason why CIS controls are really, really good is because they have about 18 controls that pretty much covers the whole spectrum of what every organization, big or all the way down the microscopic, uh, every organization needs to have these basic things in their organization, like basic fundamental best security practices. And the thing about this is you just need to be aware of them. Like if you, it would be enough for you just read about the best security practices um, because I guarantee you've touched some of it. So networking, basics of networking. We're talking about grasping fundamental IT. Basics of networking. You, you would want to know best security practices. Um, and then another one would be to have a little bit of hands-on experience. The reason why it's important is because when when your IT people start talking to you, you won't get to you won't get lost, um, and and they're going to be way in the weeds on certain things. You, they, sometimes the guys I work with, they'll start going on about Active Directory. Man, I haven't touched Active Directory in freaking fifteen years. Like I, 
I don't have a practical, like I'm not, I can't, if you gave me uh, it right now, I would not know like what to do, <laughs> you know, I have a, but I have a fundamental understanding of what it does and stuff like that. Um, they're way in the weeds on this thing, right? They're, they're deploying it and implementing it on a gigantic, very important network. Me, I'm just trying to make sure it's secure. And so I don't need to know the stuff in the weeds. Um, so why I want you to have a hands-on experience, because if you have hands-on experience, you'll know their, you'll feel their pain. So if they tell you, look, this is going to, we, we can apply this patch, but it's going to take us three months to do it. And here's why that you'll start to get an idea hands-on. Let me explain. So one of the things you want to have hands-on experience with is the back end of windows. It's not enough to just be able to install it. You need to be able to uh, put, I would spend time putting patches on your system yourself, not automatic running on like removing software, adding software, dealing with troubleshooting on your system and doing it yourself. Um, Linux is another big one. The back end of Linux is called um, uh, CLI, uh, command line interface. Command line interface is going to be very, very important. Um, because it's going to show you kind of the skeleton of how and the why of operating systems. You you have to mess with it for some time, but after a while, you start to see the file structure. And it's like you're, you put your hands on the file structure when you have a command line interface experience. Command line interface experience with Linux with um, and Windows. Those are the two main ones. I don't say Mac because Mac is basically a variant of Linux. They just copied Linux. It's Linux, basically. If you know Linux, here's why Linux is important. If you know Linux, even a little bit, like if, if you know the file structure, if you know basic command line uh, commands, if you know basic Linux, you're going to know how to do Juniper routers, na navigate the back end of a Juniper router, na navigate the back end of firewalls, navigate the back end of um of cisco devices of uh, like a lot of stuff is based on linux so it has a linux um file structure so if you understand it it will give you a very good technical understanding like a feel for how it works and so i i would encourage you to know networking like spend some time working on the network building a network tearing it down read some books on it get a certification if you want to on on a on um on networking. Um, you need to know um, best security practices. Uh, I would I would look in CIS controls that hold all the controls in there, the con uh, security controls. Um, another one you could look at is NIST CSF. That's a good one. Um, and then um, and the last one would be getting your hands on command line interface, which you can do right now. There's really no excuse. Like you, I guarantee you have access to all this stuff right now. And if you don't, if you don't think so, hell, you can use a uh, chat GPT to start messing around with it. You can download variants of Linux for free, down, put them on your computer, start messing around with it. Your phone, the Android actually is based off of Linux. Like a lot of people don't know, like the file structure, it looks like Linux. When you tear it apart, it's, it's Linux. You can use some of the same Linux commands on the back end of an Android phone. 
So, <laughs> I mean, Linux is super important. Other things that you could learn, um, I would mess around with AI a little bit, like uh, prompt engineering. I would I would mess around with it. It's going to get more and more important, but that's not as important as cloud. Cloud technology, I would learn that as much as possible. And it sounds like you kind of touched on that. Why is this important to GRC? Why is that important to GRC? Okay. It's important to GRC because as a GRC person, a lot of times I'm brought in as like a consultant to guide the organization in the right in the right direction to be compliant with certain security frameworks. If if you do what I just said, you'll have exposure to security frameworks because you'll have read them. If you do what I said, you'll have an, a fundamental understanding of technology. So when they start talking about this operating system versus that operating system, when they start talking about we need to upgrade this and that, you've actually touched those systems. Um, so you need to have a good, solid grasp of IT fundamentals, right? And you probably, it look, sounds like you already are working and that's really good. And then another thing is, let me give you some jewels with GRC. GRC frameworks, depend on certain frameworks uh industries i'm sorry i'm, I'm <laughs> grc um okay let me explain this in plain english grc governance risk and compliance is almost ex completely based off of what's called a security framework security framework is a is a a standard, a set of rules that every, every organization in an industry is supposed to use. I'll give you, I'll give you two, I'll give you three different examples. The healthcare industry, the standard that they're supposed to use, one of the standards, by the way, is called HIPAA. And that's protection of your healthcare records, right? So there's a there's rules that you're supposed to use. They they have names for different types of information and how to protect electronic information and things like that. Okay, so that's that's HIPAA for healthcare industry. So as a GRC person in the healthcare industry, you need to know HIPAA and how to protect digital records. Um, another one would be um, the financial sector would be another one. Financial sector they have a, a couple different ones. Uh, if it's retail, it's a PCI DSS. That's the card readers. So every time you go into Walmart or Target or Dillard's or wherever you go, you have to use your card, right? You're swiping your card. You ever wonder like, how are they protecting this shit? So they protect it with something called DS, PS, PCI DSS, which is a set of rules and standards, security controls that every organization must use in order to protect the information. Right. They have to separate this network from the employee network. They have to all kinds of encryption has to be a certain level, that kind of thing. Like it's just a list of rules. That's another one. Right. So we talked about HIPAA and healthcare, and in retail is it's a PCI DSS. And then the federal government where where I'm working right now, they call they have one called NIST 800. Same thing. It's just a set of rules. The set of rules in each one of these examples I'm giving you are all based off of laws. They're all based off of laws. Like thing is you you should be familiar with the laws, but you don't have to read that shit. What you need to read is the actual standards. 
So I would read the standards based off of where you want to go. If you were trying to get into retail, PCI DSS. If you were trying to break into the, the deeper end of the financial sector, Sarbanes-Oxley is another one I didn't mention. And then if you're trying to get in the federal organization, uh, federal uh, in the U.S. federal system, they use NIST 800 and another one called NIST CSF. Um, the ones that I would recommend you do, the ones that are most popular in the U.S. for cybersecurity people here um, would be number one would be uh, NIST 800. If you know that one and you put that on your resume and you say, yep, I know like I'm talking about you read it. And you know where it applies to your organization. You're in a you're in a unique position. You're already a cybersecurity person. So you said uh, desktop for you're currently doing desktop for a cybersecurity SA. So you some of the stuff I'm saying I'm sure you're familiar with. So you're in a unique position because you are probably already familiar with some of the uh, frameworks I'm mentioning to you. And if you don't, if you've never heard it mentioned, you're probably already helping to apply these things. That means you can put it on your resume. You just need to understand enough to know, OK, I, I see. I, oh, we're using PCI DSS. Read PS, PCI DSS and then put it on your resume because you've already applied it. For example, let's say as a help desk person, I'm sure you've applied patches. If you've applied patches before. Let's let's stick with that one. If you've applied patches on Windows 10, Windows 11 system, right? Windows 19, whatever it is that you've applied. So for NIST 800, if you were working for an organization that had to apply the NIST 800 framework, it's called risk uh, risk management framework, NIST risk management framework. That is a security control, a security control called SI2, which is flaw remediation, right? I've been doing this for a long time, so I know some of it off the top of my head, but you don't have to know it off the top of your head. You just need to understand how it works. So that's why I'm telling you to read through NIST. It's called, okay, I hope you have a pen ready. It's called NIST 837. And then there's another one called NIST 800. 53, 800-53. I've got a few books on this. And if you read those, you'll understand exactly what the hell I'm talking about. But those two, NIST 837 and NIST 853, those two combined, if you know those, you probably have already used some of those if you worked for a client that that did work for the federal, federal government and the state. They also use it, by the way. Um, so let's say... You you like Bruce? I, I've never worked for the federal government. I've, I've never done that. Okay, so let's say you are applying patches on Windows uh, 10 system, Windows 11, whatever. You apply patches. You're help this person. First of all, you got to put that shit on your resume, all right? But you can also go a step further and say that you've assisted with PCI DSS. If your client had to, if your client uh, had, was a retail giant retail chain, whatever. And they said they went in and said, "Hey, we have this SaaS. We want we have to apply all these patches to Windows 10, blah blah blah. We're moving Windows 10 to Windows 11 to remediate all these these uh, changes. So we got to be compliant with PCI DSS. You can put that on your resume, right? Not that you not only that you apply these patches to 500 systems across 
a retail, a major retail chain, but also it's in compliance with PCI DSS. Reason why I'm telling you this is because what I'm trying to get you to do is put the standard on your resume. NIST 800, PCI DSS, ISO 27001, that's an international standard. Um, Sarbanes-Oxley, that's a really good one uh, for, re for banks. HIPAA, you want to put that on your resume because GRC organizations are looking for that. Another thing that GRC is looking for is, uh, is people who write documents. Um, if you've ever helped, if you've ever written a work instruction, if you've ever working, well, written an SOP, a standard operating procedure, if you've ever helped to write or fixed, modified, uh, edited a policy, procedure, anything like that, any kind of documentation is also very, very, very GRC. You want to put that on your resume. What I'm trying to get you to do is put GRC type stuff on your resume because you, if, if you're already help desk, if you're already IT person, you've already done this. You've already done this. And I'm telling you, GRC organizations are really looking for your skill set, but you don't know that you've already you've already done this. You're like you guys are like Harry Potter, man. Like you in the first book of Harry Potter where he doesn't know he has powers, but he's got that fucking Z on his head. And he's like he doesn't know how powerful he is, but all the wizarding world knows how powerful he is. Right. That's you. Like you already have the skills. But you don't know you have that the skills, but you, you haven't put on your resume yet. So I mean, that's probably a stupid analogy. But anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> All right, let me see here. Um, Smooth Virus says, um, hmm. What you covered in the book exists. Uh, was exactly what the, the SCA told us about. <laughs> the book is short enough that I can read it in an afternoon and get the basics down. Man, thanks. Thanks for that shout out. So he's talking about a book I wrote. Uh, I've I got a series of books talking about some of the stuff I'm, that I've just explained, NIST 800. And I'm going to do some other ones with other frameworks that breaks it down just like this, like just stuff you really need to know, right? You don't need to read the entire um library of all NIST 800. I mean, hell, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've not read every NIST 800 books. They got like a hundred of them, you know, and each one, some of them are like hundreds of pages long. Some of them are not meant for you to read it cover to cover. You know, some of them are just reference guides. So like the NIST 860 is not something you're supposed to read cover to cover. It's just a reference guide. So Anyway, I wrote these books where I condense it all to what you really need. I have the first one's foundations. Like, what do you need as a GRC person working for the federal government? What do you really need to know? Like, wh what is the landscape, right? And so I explained that one. In the second book, I'm talking about controls. Here are the control families. Here's what you need to know as a, a GRC person. I don't go into every, there's literally over 1,000 controls. I don't go over every thousand, all 1,000 controls. I go into the families and say, of this family, here's what you need to know. Of this family, here's what you need to know. And then the last book is called Control Assessor. And all I do is I take those same controls and I say, if you are assessing your own control families, right, I'm not covering all 1,000. They, they already have a book for that. What I'm telling you is this is what you really need. And, and then I even go further. If you get the book, there's a downloadable that tells you like what questions to ask if you're doing an interview for a, a system admin. 
So all of that is in my, if you want to find these books, you can go to combocourses.com. I've got some downloadable PDFs there, but you can also go to Amazon and then just type in NIST RMF. You'll see my books pop up right there, NIST RMF, and that breaks down everything. I'm just trying to keep it short and sweet and get to the point. And something I wish somebody would have told me, like without, you know, <laughs> the stuff's all there. I just put it all like what you really need to know and made it practical. So thanks, Smooth Virus, for that. I appreciate you, man. Um, and then leave a comment on there. If you do buy the book, give me some comments because that really helps me out. That keeps the book relevant. Uh, let me see here. I'm on TikTok. And I'm going to bounce at around 2 o'clock, guys. So i got about 20 minutes left. Um, so Chevy says, so my route is a bit backwards. I have all the experience. Let me see. Can I put this on the reply to pin this comment? Let me see if I can pin this comment. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> he says, so my route is a bit backwards. He says, I have all the experience, but just now studying for, for Security Plus. Okay. Just now studying for Security Plus. Um, that's great. Like I, I was actually in the same in the same box. I'd had all this experience in the military. And then when I got out, they were like, um, "Hey, we want you to get a CISSP." And I was like, "Damn, you know, I I had other certifications and all this experience. I had a lot of experience, but I didn't have. They wanted a CISSP, so I. But that's kind of how it's supposed to be. Like the the certifications are supposed to validate your your knowledge and your in your experience it's not supposed to a lot of us we're using it the other way around like oh i'm going to get this certification even though i don't have experience and then i'm going to get this job it's supposed to be you get the experience then you validate that experience with the with the certification and then you get the job but it works i mean if you work it right you can do you can do either one uh let me see are there any technologies softwares you recommend for learning to get into cybersecurity roles um softwares there there's a couple of uh tools that that there's a couple tools that you can use depending on what what area of cybersecurity you get into off the top of my head if you happen to be an, an ethical hacker or a pen tester or a red teamer which i'm not but i know some of the tools that they use that are very useful to them one of them is called kali linux it's a it's a version of Linux that allows you to um, have a bunch of hacking tools in it. Uh, that's one. Another one would be any kind of phishing, uh, any kind of phishing services or phishing tools like No Before. That's one or like uh, Proofpoint or if you know any of those kind of of like where you're doing internal testing and hacking of your or your own organization they they have a whole bunch of whole bunch of tools that hackers and pen testers and red teamers use any of those will really help out to get into into this field and i'm assuming that you already have some kind of it background because they're going to expect you to have some kind of knowledge you know even even if you're working with cali linux you're going to have to learn some command line in order in networking command line you have to come in knowing that stuff um, as far as my job, 
my job doing GRC type stuff, there's a couple tools that if you know it, it's going to really help you. One of them is called Jira, which is like a it's like a project management software that they, the whole damn government start using recently. Um, or I don't, I don't know what parts of the government use it, but I, I just noticed every a lot of people are using it. Um, any kind of seam tools um, that that includes things like ArcSight or um, there's a few other ones that you could use. Splunk is probably the big one now. Scanning tools help out if you happen to be a, a control assessor. There's different tools that that organizations use. Another GRC tool would be Archer, um, EMAS, um, CSAM. There's a couple of tools that they lend themselves to GRC. There's some that lend themselves to like pen testing and red teamers and stuff like that. If you happen to be good at scripting already, if you happen to be a software engineer and you're trying to get in cybersecurity, wow, like that's that's really good for you could transition pretty fast into something like uh, into pen testing or red teaming or even um, app security would be another really good one that you could do. If you know you know how to do any kind of programming, any kind of scripting is going to really, really help you out. So the tool set depends on what you're doing in cybersecurity. All right, let me see if I got any other questions before I let this thing go. Thank you guys so much for all your questions. I really appreciate it. Um, Tech Talk with Gloria says, question, I'm a scrum master with a project management experience. No PMP yet. I'm looking to get into cybersecurity, GRC, or cloud. I'm trying to decide between the two programs okay so i would uh, between these two it depends on how technical you are if you're a nerd like myself if you're super geeky you love being on the computer you're fascinated it's magical to you you want to you see yourself doing this for a long time cloud will probably be more fun for you um cloud will probably be more fun fun i would recommend the Amazon AWS cloud certification to start with and see if you like it. And then if you like it, keep going with it. Also, it's really hot right now. So if if I was in your position, that would be something to consider if you wanted to be technical. Now, on the other hand, as a project manager already, what I would do, um, a better transition for you would probably be GRC. You're going to understand GRC immediately. It's just going to make all kinds of sense to you as a project manager. It's just, and also basically the stuff I'm doing is project management. I'm a, I'm a cybersecurity guy, but I do so much GRC that it's mostly, it's a lot of project management type stuff. I'm talking with, I'm doing a lot of meetings. I'm talking to actual, the actual engineers who are touching the systems and managing the systems. And I'm just saying we're doing something, we're doing vulnerability management. So we have to figure out, okay, we have X amount of systems that we need to deploy this or that uh, patch or whatever. And then which one should we do first? Which one is on the agenda? Are there any dependencies on when we can, when can we get it done? We got to do something called a plan of action and milestone. Um, we have, to, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of like, okay, which one are, let's do this first and then we'll do this. Um, it's that kind of thing. So I'm doing some things that are project management and then it's dealing with different levels of the organization, just like a project manager. So you're going to, if you actually do GRC, it's, it's going to be way smoother for you. 
uh, and you'll probably level up faster. Whereas cloud, even before you do AWS, unless you're already a, a geek nerd, you're already building your own computers, you're, you're a gamer, you, you, you live in the computers, and you already have IT background, cloud is going to become easy for you. But if you don't, you're going to have to start where you are. That means you're going to have to start, you know, as a help desk person. Like, you're going to have to start from the bottom of the help desk persons. You know what I mean? Like, you got to start from the beginning learning IT from nothing and then building yourself up. So, to just to get to cloud. So, uh, it depends on where you are. If I were you... Uh, and I know you don't want to hear this, but and I, a lot of project managers say the same thing to me. And I'm going to tell you, uh, you should stick with project management. And the reason why I say that is because it pays really good. If you want to do cybersecurity, just do it for fun on the side. <laughs> project managers make about the same amount of money. I mean, I don't I don't like you're a scrum master. I would get the PMP. Here's what I do for you. All right. And you do whatever the hell you want, but it's up to you. I, I, I'd get the PMP um, and then I position myself to to make that big money. The PMP is is the way to do it. You have the background. You probably have a couple years of experience already. Right. So the experience is really what's going to pay you. The experience in the location that you're at. Project managers can make six figures. And as a project manager, you can go into program management. I would stay in the pro project management. I would get the PMP first. Look, let's put money first, okay? Follow the money. Get the PMP. That way you can you can use your experience as leverage on your resume, right? You'd be able to say, look, I've been doing project management for a long time. Yeah, I got a PMP. You know, I'm a scrum master. I've been I've been doing this stuff for a long time. Then go for a six-figure job. Get yourself a six-figure job and then do GRC. Do it on the side. Start learning GRC on the side. Um, try to get your security plus. Go for your security plus. At Get your six-figure job first. Now, if you already have a six-figure job, you're, you're, you already make money. That's not the reason why you want to do it. You just want to be a cybersecurity person because you just like, you love it. Okay, then now that's a different conversation. Um, that's, a, that's a different conversation. You said looking to make a move without taking a huge pay cut due to commitments in life. Yeah, yeah, man. Listen, listen, Gloria. Here's why I say get the PMP. Project managers are on a similar position as your average cybersecurity person. I'm saying this from the inside looking out. I'm working in this. A lot of times I'm working with project managers who are making about the same or more than me. We're on the same playing field. Like people talk to us different, but we're making the same money a lot of times. Right. Or maybe a little bit, you know, there might be, I'm sure that there's some levels to this, right. A, a, a junior level project manager is probably not making what I'm making, but I'm talking to project managers who's a lot of times are on my same level and they're equally or more important than me because they're managing two or three different projects. I'm only on one project a lot of times. So get your PMP. You'll be able to get yourself a work from home position making six figures as a project manager because a lot of those guys are making six figures and working from home. 
That's another one of those real good work from home. They don't need you to show up at the office. You can run your whole thing uh, from Zoom. So I would get the project, a PMP, get that, get that, land that higher paying job working from home. Work from home, keyword, because now you can, if you still want to do technical stuff, you can on your own free time, building yourself up slowly. And then uh, get your security plus, build yourself to get a security plus, and then you can go uh, cloud if you want, or you can go cybersecurity. Or you can even say, I don't want the security plus, I'm going straight into cloud and, and do the AWA. Uh, it's called, um, it's an Amazon cloud certification. And that that's a, a really good certification to get, to start off with. And then start building your, your knowledge base and experience from there. While you already have your six figures with your PMP working from home, you might not even want to do cybersecurity after you do what I'm telling you to do because you'll you'll be in a comfortable spot doing stuff you already know how to do and just doing IT stuff for fun. That's what I would that's that would be what I would do, Gloria. Um okay, I got a few more guys and then I gotta I gotta bounce. Let me okay, I'm gonna try to speed through these. Uh NY any says, how can one pass past the gatekeeper? to be frequently interviewed for any GRC? How can one pass the gatekeeper to be frequently interviewed by GRC? It's a numbers game. So what I do is even with 20 years of experience, I apply like I'm hungry. I put my resume everywhere. I advertise the shit out of my profile and my resume. I put myself everywhere. I put myself on all the major job aggregators, profile, and an ATS style resume. If you don't know how to do that, you can download mine for free. So it's on combocourses.net. Go to combocourses.net. You see a bunch of free shit there. Download that. Use that resume formatting. And then upload that until I put myself everywhere. And then once you put yourself everywhere, you, you want to still be aggressive. You want to start applying for jobs over and over and over again. All kinds of jobs that you fit into those roles. And then do as many interviews as you can as you can stomach. Do as many as you can. It's a numbers game. The more resumes you put out, the more times you get selected, you get screened, and then you get to the actual resume. I mean, the actual interview with the with the technical recruiters and with the managers and all that kind of stuff. I these days I'm so picky. I got to go through three and four interviews just to get the one I want. So you're not alone in that if you're having to do all these different interviews. Okay, understanding networking. That was great. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, let me see. I'm gonna try to speed through these. Talking, taking the uh, cybersecurity bachelor's degree right now, and they added Linux to our degree plan. Yep, with WGU. Yeah, that's that's fire right there. That man's on the right track. Yep, they're not they're not playing like Linux is such a great thing to learn. Uh, can you touch on Plan of action and milestones and what exactly we we would do under an ISO as an analyst, under an ISO as an analyst. So normally the plan of action and milestone is done by somebody like myself, an, an information system security officer. And we're the ones putting the document together, but we're usually reaching out to our technical experts for certain things. Like we'll need an explanation of why we can't. Let me back up. So a plan of action and milestone is a document, it's a process that we use to uh, to document 
certain vulnerabilities that we can't uh, apply immediately. So normally, whenever you have a vulnerability, like that means like uh, when your the organization's on Windows 7, oh no, we have to update it. But we can't do it now because Windows 7 is it the 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 uh, business application that we use is on Windows 7, right? So that is a vulnerability. That's a huge vulnerability. <laughs> so now we have to do a documentation process to say, listen, the organization, from the organization's perspective, they're doing a document that says, okay, we have a plan in place uh, to take action. And here are the milestones. Here are the steps we're going to use to do it. And here's a point of contact that we that we have in order to get this done. So we might reach out to an analyst to say, is there anything we're already doing uh, to be secure, to mitigate the risk associated with this vulnerability? Meaning, yeah, we can't update it to Windows 11 right now, but is it, what are we doing to still protect our data and our system? So we might talk to an analyst to help us out with that. So we might we might also talk to the system uh, security team. Uh, the, we might talk to the analysts. I mean the uh, the administrators to help us to understand better what kind of compensating controls, things to compensate for the risk that's there. So that's where we would use those people. How do I get into GRC? Some guidelines uh, depends on what industry you're getting in. If you're in the retail industry, healthcare industry. Um, Government, all of those have different standards that you need to focus on. Healthcare, HIPAA. Um, retail is going to be PCI DSS. Uh, financial sector, Sarbanes-Oxley and possibly PCI DSS. Federal, organ federal uh, space is going to be uh, NIST 800, NIST cybersecurity framework. Uh, if international, if you have a giant international company, ISO 20, ISO 27001. So you would have to know the one of the best things you can do, have a strong IT background, understand IT, but also know frameworks in, in that specific industry you want to go into. Um, graduated six months ago with a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity, been applying daily, nothing, no, uh, nothing advice. Um, Jared, are you it, so it's got to be a resume. Usually when people reach out to me with this. Many, many people say the same thing you just said. And usually, and then they send me their resume and their resume is trash. They haven't said anything about what they do, have done. They don't have any kind of, they don't have any kind of experience, no background. They didn't put no skills in there. All they have is that they have a degree or something, some shit. Like they'll have one thing on there. It's like, dude, what did you expect? So if, if I were you, I'd apply for internships and and uh and in apprenticeships one of those because if you have a degree they're looking for you there's people looking for you the government's looking for you like you just not you got to put yourself in the way of that opportunity and i i mean i maybe i sound overly op optimistic because we're in this down economic downturn or some shit man i'm telling you people need you right now they just can't find you so you got to put yourself in the way of that opportunity it's a numbers game Right. And a lot of times you're putting yourself, it sounds like a lot of people that are putting themselves in the way of it, but they, they said, well, I put myself on two different job aggregators. Motherfucker, I'm telling you to put it on all the aggregators. I'm telling you to put them on all of them. Do you hear what I'm trying to sell you? Put them on all of them, all of them and fill out the damn profile. That's what I'm trying to tell you. 
I wish you guys would listen to me. I really wish you would, because you're I'm telling you your situation would change. It's just frustrating because I'm telling you, you you're Harry Potter. You got the Z on your face and you don't even know what you have. But you, if you put it yourself on every one of these things, not just LinkedIn, not just not just career builder, not just dice, not just monster, all of them like that. If you don't have a job, you're trying to get in this space and 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 work your way to that six figures. You need to be make that your job, putting yourself everywhere and you need to improve your resume. If you don't know how to do that, you can download mine to get an example of how a resume, a good resume looks. It's very basic. To be honest with you, my resume is not that special. It's an ATS style, boring ass resume. Download it. See what I'm talking about. It's boring as hell, but it's just breaking it all down. And, and the way that I'm doing it. and you don't have to just take my word for it. If you go on LinkedIn right now, search jobs. And, and look for look for cybersecurity specialists or whatever job you want, right? And then look for people. Search on people. Look for people who've already posted their whole profile. And then look at how they word their experience, their degree. Look how they word it. There's a reason why they're on top. All right. Hope that helps, Jared. Project managers do not make as much as engineers. What is he on? Believe what you want, my man. Believe what you want. Um, do you mentor? Not right now. I don't have the time. Is going to is going through WGU worth it? Yes. That's a great, I've heard great things. I personally haven't gone through it, but a lot of friends that I know have. I just passed the SYSA. No technical experience, but um I've done cybersecurity documents, what was and and was a banker. Um Right now, Lux, what you want to do is get any kind of experience you can. Don't just apply for SOC jobs or cybersecurity jobs. Right now, you want to get your foot in the door at any IT job right now. Okay. And the thing is, once you get your foot in the door and you start working IT, you'll have opportunities to do cybersecurity that you can put on your resume as an experience. That's that's what I would do if I were you. Another thing you can do is start where you are. You have you say you are a banker. You were a banker. You could actually I would work that angle. Shit. What you could do. Shit. What I would do is I would I would lean heavily into uh into that industry. Like what you could do is like read up on uh banking uh frameworks like you could do Sarbanes-Oxley. I believe banks use Sarbanes. Some financial institutions use Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, for auditing and stuff, um, you could lean heavily into that. You probably have already done some s things in while in the banking sector to protect digital records. I would lean heavily into that. That's what I would do. Um, that might help you out and then and start to target that market, that that the banking, the financial sector industry to try to get your foot in the door. Another thing you could do, hell, you could get a banking job. And then try to work your way into the IT department while you're there. That's another thing you could do. Um, I, like you need to start where you are. And if you're in that industry, you know you know things, Lux, that I don't know about the banking industry. I've never worked directly inside of a bank before. I worked for financial institutions, but never a bank. Like you have, there's terminology that you know that I don't know. Even as a 20-year vet, I'm doing this. There's things that you there's terminology. There's there's things that you know about the bank that I don't that you 
that you guys do, just like a healthcare industry, they have HIPAA. Like there, if you're a nurse or a nurse practitioner or some shit like that, you know stuff about protecting patients' records that I don't, that I've never done. So you that's stuff you could use on your resume. This guy's a banker. He could use that stuff that he knows on his resume. The, the thing is, I don't know what you know. So <laughs> I wouldn't know what to put on there. But what you could do to research that, do some gap analysis is what we call it, is go on there, go on to LinkedIn and search for people who do work for banks. This is one thing you could do. You could go on LinkedIn, search for people who do work for banks. How you do that? You could just type in cybersecurity bank, cybersecurity bank, just that, that keyword right there. Then search for people, go for people. What you're looking for is cybersecurity professionals who have worked for banks and you're looking for somebody who put their whole resume out there. And right there, you'll see their resume, what they put on their resume. I guarantee you, they, you've done some things that they also do for the bank. Writing security documents is one of them. So that's one thing you can do. Now, I'm not telling you this is a magic bullet. You're going to magically get a job there. I'm just kind of giving you some pointers to go in the right direction. Um, should I apply for help desk first? Yes. That was his next question. Should I apply? Yes. How do we contact you? Contact at ComboCourses.com. I'm very busy. I have a full-time job. I got family. I got, I, it, I'm so, I've got, you see how many videos I put out, right? This is just me. So I'm super busy, but I try to go through all my stuff on, you know, at least once a week. I'm, I'm trying to chip away, but I'm getting all these comments and all these, all this love and all this reviews and all so many people contact me. Sometimes I can't get to it, but com, contact at ComboCourses.com and I'll do my very best to get a hold of you or to respond to you. Uh, most of the jobs can uh, need a clearance. I don't have most jobs need a clearance that I don't have. Um, not not necessarily. So a lot of people get confused with a background check is not a clearance. A clearance is a secure is is classified information. OK, that's normally federal organizations. I mean, there's some other ones that do it, but a clearance is. A security clearance, right, does not apply to all security people. It, it a security clearance is for people who have a needs access to secret or above information. All right, you can have something called a public trust, but public trust is not technically a clearance. A lot of times, it's lumped into that, and I've been guilty of that myself. Is lumping a public trust into that, but really, it's just an advanced background check. It's not a clearance. So not all jobs need clearance. What you might mean is not my, most cybersecurity jobs need a background check, which is true. Uh, and that's the reason why is because cybersecurity, you're touching, you're going to have access to people's, to organizations, critical information. So, I mean, think about it. You go to the bank, you, do you want, you do want people who are cleared touching your information or seeing your account or whatever, right? So it just makes sense. Uh, let me see. Thanks for giving me some free game. Uh, what's this combo about? Cybersecurity, my man. Making six figures, making money. Uh, thank you for that free game. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you for watching me. I really appreciate everybody who commented on this. 
I, I got to go, guys. I've got an appointment. But thank you so much. I'm going to do this next week. So keep following. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can catch us on, on um, convocourses.com. You can catch me on Discord. Um, and I'm going to put that link of Discord on this somewhere. I'll put it somewhere. <laughs> Uh, every the best way to get more free game because uh, I give out a lot is to follow my newsletter. And the reason why I say this is because I give out man jobs. I can't. I got a job. I got a decent job. I'll get jobs and I'll put it on my newsletter. Hell, I, I'm about to release a free audio book. A free audio book uh, for all stuff. Some of the stuff I just talked about. Free audio book on my newsletter. I like to release it on my newsletter first, and then I release it to all the other outlets. So way more free game. I give out way more free stuff than I have for sale. If you do do the sale stuff, that stuff is is it's worth a lot. I mean, I, so anyway, that's it, guys. I'm out of here. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate everybody. I got to go before I'm late. Peace.